High Performance Podcast, where we share with you the stories, tips, tricks, and strategies of motocross and off-road races, health and fitness experts, and everyone in between who has an inspiring story to share. This episode of the podcast, we've got Sally Stedman, who is a human performance coach. So we're delving a bit deeper into the mindset stuff again this week. I really love the mindset stuff, and I truly believe it's the is the defining factor uh, between the the guys who really make make it to the top and the guys who don't, whether they're aware of it or not. And as Sally mentions in this podcast, even the guys who are naturally gifted in applying some of these processes if you can if if Sally could actually work with them when they're already naturally gifted and put some of these these strategies into place then their results are going to be tenfold again so it's it can sound a bit complicated if you've never sort of given this stuff much thought or if you're new to it but just be open to it and it doesn't really have to be complicated i think it's actually pretty simple when you learn a little bit about it and break it down it's just like any other part of your training whether it's your nutrition your physical preparation your on bike training it's some little strategies some protocols that you just put in place each and every day that is a part of your training so Sally's got a really cool ebook which we'll talk about in the pop podcast, which you can actually purchase, with which breaks it down into all the details of what those protocols actually are. Super, super cheap, really well priced, would be well worth purchasing. I would highly recommend it if you want to delve a little bit deeper into your your mental preparation. So that's it for the intro. We'll get into the podcast. There's a lot of great content in here and some really good stuff some actionable steps that you can put into place and actually improve your training and apply that when it gets to race day so enough from me we'll get into the podcast now today on the podcast we've got sally stedman sally's a mental performance coach who specializes in motorsports particularly the two-wheeled variety she's just released a really cool ebook called race psych which gives a lot of tips, a lot of protocols, a lot of procedures to up your mental game. Today, Sally's going to share a bit of that wisdom with us on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Sally. Awesome. Thanks, Ben, and thanks for the very kind introduction. It's really cool. (laughs) No, thank you. My pleasure. So for the people, I guess, that don't know who Sally Stedman is, can you give us a little bit of a background? Because... I did have a read of your your bio on the website before. Sounds like you've ha- actually had a bit of a career yourself racing bikes, which is really cool. Yeah, so um, it's it actually goes way back in even my genetics. So my grandfather used to be here in New Zealand, used to be um, national beach racing champion. So then my I had older brothers race. I used to hang out with them at the tracks and help them, and they were that was back in the day with um, two strokes. So 250 and 500 Grand Prix bikes. Um, so I was riding amongst it there and I loved it. And when I first rode a bike, um, 
fortunately it was a two stroke and the moment I hit the power band I was hooked so, <laughs> so and I still can remember that feeling to this day that moment going this is cool um, so then I did a lot of dirt riding um, over the years but I was always very keen to get to road racing so eventually um, made my way to road racing and got into one to five Grand Prix um, even loved doing this change my own pistons and stuff like that so I'm a little bit of a petrol head um, yeah, awesome. and yeah did that for a couple of years and was really enjoying it did one year at nationals and I was about midfield um, second year at nationals first round actually last lap of the last race of the weekend um, my main bearing sees mid, mid corner and it was only half life um, the main bearing so and it was a fairly fast corner so I had a wicked high side and um, ended up with a life-changing head injury um, it was a pretty big one so I took a year off um, certainly riding bikes uh, told myself I wouldn't ride a bike for two years but only lasted one year um, and then I was just doing road bikes like 600s and stuff like that um, and a year after the head injury, I went to uni, um, thought I'd combine my passion for racing with um, my passion for psychology. I really enjoyed it. So I thought I might as well do it because I needed to do something different with my life. It was one of those reevaluate your life kind of head injuries. Um, but the uni study was the best thing for my brain. Um, and it was actually pretty cool doing it after the head injury, so I could see, oh, that bit there wasn't working quite right when, um, when I had it. So um, that's been good, because I can relate to what people, you know, when guys um, or girls have head injuries, I can sort of see, you know, I can understand what they might be going through, because I had some pretty weird stuff happen myself. Yeah, I'll bet. I imagine even yourself, you would have had to put some... I guess, mental practices in place to actually get your confidence back up when you hop back on the bike? Yeah, definitely. So um, risk management came into play. because So it's been, you know, I don't know how fast I am compared to what I used to be because I haven't, um, you know, I sold my 125 and then I've been riding bigger bikes. But it certainly was because for me, um, the risk is a lot higher now. With the, with the injury I had, it's quite easy. Just even a little tap in my head and I feel it. So um, mm. I, I ride with quite a big buffer. Um, but I'm comfortable with that. So I've, you know, I've had 15 years of riding and, and I've done dirt track racing over in Australia. Um, when I lived over there for about eight years since. So I certainly wasn't going to give up racing, but um, I just have to find a way to enjoy it, still go fast and enjoys it, but not on that edge that's putting me at too much risk. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Still can have plenty of fun, plenty of fun without going too crazy, right? Oh, absolutely, dirt tracking. <laughs> and I love dirt tracking. I, you know, probably love it more than the road racing. Really, it's awesome. Yeah, cool. So I guess I first heard of you from one of our mutual friends, Jake Royal. Yes. Who I had on the podcast a little while ago. So Jake mentioned that you, when he started off as a coach, that you were actually one of the only people he could find in Australia who was 
I guess, a sports psych who was focusing on motorsport athletes? Yeah. Yeah, there wasn't many, many of, and there still isn't many of us. Um, yeah. So what, what sort of led you down the motorsport path, I guess? Obviously, you were involved in the sport, but when did, I guess when did you sort of realise that that was such a crucial part for motorsport? Um, yeah, when I was studying, when I did the psych degree um, and I was in the sports psych paper and I just, um, I realised how all these tools that other sports have been using for decades um, that, you know, I never used one of them when I raced. Um, you know, I was horrendous what I was, the way I was approaching my racing when I look at it now. Um, and, and I just thought, man, if this races use this, if motorcycle racing use this, this would be fantastic. So in my second year of the degree, I started working with um, a racer in New Zealand and he, he agreed to be my guinea pig. Um, as long as I, and so I would help him as much as I can, but also um, I was able to share some of the stories with people so they knew because it was so unknown and people kind of looked at it when oh, it's just fluff, you know, what do you, what do you need that for? You just go hard. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah, this well, this stuff enables you to actually go harder if you if you structure it well. You can um, you can go further, so it doesn't make you slow down. Um, and there were some pretty cool things with what came out with him. Um, pretty straight away, actually, it was amazing, and I just went, wow, this is this is pretty cool. So um, I got right in amongst it. Yeah, awesome. I think you're right. I, th I don't know if it's, I think, I know in motocross, it's probably similar across the board, perhaps, but I know in motocross for sure. And I was actually thinking this the other day, like in most team sports, like football, as an example, they do some form of training every week. Um, but I guess they if they don't, I guess, train correctly or fuel themselves correctly, their level of, I guess risk if they do fail in a football game is far less than the risk we're placing ourselves in when we're getting on a bike and going warp speed. If we're not, if our head's not in the right place or if we haven't prepared ourselves physically, then we're at a lot greater risk if something does go wrong in those situations compared to most other sports. You are absolutely right. And um, also when we're doing, you know, what they call in psych side skill acquisition. So when you're learning and developing a skill, so, you know, it's really critical for the young racers. Um, and it's, it was one of the drivers for me doing the ebook actually is because I used to just cringe at some of the serious crashes and think, I wonder if that could have been avoided, you know? Um, is that, so two, two things, the, the skill acquisition is that something I learned in the site was that while you're um, learning a new skill, you're prone to making more mistakes and certainly if you've got um, people watching you and stuff like that then you're even more prone to make them and the consequences can be quite significant in our sport as you say yeah. so in other sports you know if you're doing basketball and you're shooting the hoop you can try different approaches and if they fail what's the worst that's going to happen the ball's not going to go in the hoop yeah. for us if we try and fail you know it can really hurt um and badly for sure. And real badly, you know, and it can end your season before you've even started it. So, yeah. So, we actually, to me, 
you're absolutely right. I, th I think it's more important for us, but yet we seem to use it less. It's quite quite amazing. So I I can't believe how much potential there is that's not being had by people in our sport. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think I, th I suppose like. I guess the people that succeed in our sport are quite obviously naturally good at, at perhaps then maybe maybe they're aware of their mental processes maybe they're not but they I guess they're naturally good which I guess is human nature but um, I think it's definitely an untapped field where people um, probably don't realize the, the potential of it yeah and i and i get you know you do you get naturally good but you go man give me the naturally good one and give them this stuff and yeah, then that's right. they can go then you know so yeah um, it's because or the people that have done it have kept quiet about it because that's their competitive advantage so you know I've, i have come across some of the old geezers who used to race grand prix and they're like, oh yeah i used to do this stuff heaps but they never talk about it at the time because why would they you know it's, um, well, so that's another thing. I think our sport, it is a bit of a secret squirrels sport too. People yeah. don't want to share what they're doing to succeed in, in most areas of their preparation, unfortunately. Yeah, well, you wouldn't, you know, <laughs> you could share it with your mates who's in a different yeah. class and never going to be in the same class. But, yeah. you know, it is quite funny and it's, yeah, I'm, I don't expect to get a lot of referrals in this. <laughs> <laughs> So this, like, this is something that Jake and I actually touched on in his podcast, but do you think it's a case of particularly sports psychology or do you think it's more, I guess, and I guess like mastering our, I guess our human behavior and our emotions on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, it's both. Um, so the, you know, I've, I talk about and focus on the mental performance tools and techniques because that's what people seem to be mostly interested. If I said, look, you know, I can also help you to clear out some emotional stuff that's getting in your way. I think they'd be less interested. Um, <laughs> but, but the reality is it is both. And it's quite funny because, you know, I've been able to try some of this stuff out on myself and obviously I can't um, go to the full, full speed and I'm not, you know, I'd love to be back. Uh, tarmac racing but um, when when you do have that stuff that day-to-day -day stuff cleared out and you know some of those emotional challenges um, if you properly clear them out then when you get to the track they're not in the background robbing a bit of your focus so I've found that when you do clear that stuff out you're actually more likely to experience the state of flow where your high performance really kicks in so you know there's there's benefit from both the mental performance tools and the emotional intelligence side of things um, but it's a it's a tricky one because you know one of them is just you every day you got to sort your sort your crap out whereas the other one is specific tools that you can use at the track or you know yeah processes to put in place yeah yeah so that that term you just used there which i really love flow state Mm. Can you what? How do you describe flow state for the listeners that may perhaps have never heard of that before? Can you give yeah. us some, your description? So it's, it's a state where um, you are fully engaged in what you're doing, so much so that even time, your perception of time seems to be distorted. 
Um, it's very easy to do your performance. Um, it feels like, in fact, you're probably going slow and you, you come in and like, oh, that was your best lap time. Like, what? <laughs> it felt too easy. Yeah. Um, so it's a real enjoyable, um, easy, high performing, and you're fully aware of everything that's going on. Um, but it's like you're very much operating in that higher level of um, conscious awareness, really. Um, you know, I've had moments where I literally couldn't tell the difference between my, my body and, the bo and my bike because mm. it was just so merged. And that's what it feels like. It's very merged and very um, fluid. I guess that's why they call it flow. Um, it's really hard to describe, I guess, in words. Am I doing the job? Yeah, no, I think that's it's exactly right. And I've definitely felt that feeling. But I think, and most of the people, I guess, the more, I guess, successful we well, don't have to be a successful rider to feel it, but the more people I speak to who've perhaps had a really good result and you ask them, well, what happened or what did you do? They, they can't actually say because it's just like, I don't know, it just happened. It just flowed. Yeah. <laughs> it's it just you do allow yourself to get into the, that state where it just flows. Just flows. And when you think about it, um, what I liken it to, I guess, is um, on a smaller scale, you know, when you clean your teeth, that's very easy. You don't think about it and it just happens. Um, it doesn't have all the other cool experiences going with it. But um, that's all coming out of your procedural memory. So your, your brain has, has a part of memory that record, you know, knows how to do all this stuff, your motor control stuff, um, So which includes riding a bike. So if you've got a particular track, completely nailed you know how to ride it really well you know your bike really well um, and you've done drills or you've done enough laps that it's really ingrained in your um, procedural memory it's it's a lot faster so you don't consciously think about what you're doing and and that's really one of the key goals for sports psychology is to get as much as possible into that procedural memory because it's fast um, faster than your, your conscious and it frees up your um, conscious thinking to do things like strategy. So um, that's really what it's about. And the more you do, and so for the dirt riding, it is things like um, getting all your different types of terrain that you might be riding, doing drills, and really counting them in so that your brain can always stay up in that higher, um, working out of that procedural memory. So it just knows automatically how to respond to what's coming up. You know, if you were to try and consciously work it out, you'd probably crash because you're, you're slowing down, you know, you're having to think at that level that's slower than what your bike or you and your bike are going at. So if you can stay up in that high and keep your thinking up in that high level, then that's when you're going to experience more of that flow state. Yeah, for sure. So I think like even, like you say, it's, it becomes a, they become subconscious habits, I suppose. So I guess some of the things we're going to touch on a bit later with, with tips and, and processes, the, the more you actually practice them in training, then they become subconscious too. So you're actually allowing yourself to, to apply those processes without, I guess, actually thinking about doing it. Yes. Yep. That's exactly, you know, when you think of the martial arts, um, yep. athlete, they just drill and drill and drill and so that they can just respond um, naturally into everything that's thrown at them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
So you've obviously been doing this for, for a few years now. How has your approach changed, um, I guess, throughout your career? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> so um, when I started, uh, when I was working with the, um, the racer here in New Zealand, I was basically doing a mentoring role. Um, I was with him at every race meeting. I would meet with him in between race meetings. Um, while I was at the race meeting, we would go through a checklist in the morning, which was actually a really, really useful process to do. Um, review after probably not all sessions, but most sessions. Um, certainly at the end of the event, we'd do a review. And throughout the meeting, if something was going on that I could see that um, things were going off course or his focus was getting distracted, then you know, have a conversation with them and just help pull, pull that back in. And it was awesome, you know, you could really see the results. But the commercial reality is that that's too expensive um, for most races. So I then pretty much moved to just doing ad hoc. Well, I'd either have to do a lot of that and do it for free um, and then just do ad hoc sessions if they needed something. But where I've... Um, come to is that it really does, you're either going to do that full mentoring side of things and I'm, and I'm like, well, I've only got so much time that I could do that. So I, um, it was one of the drivers for the ebook because it provided all the information that a lot of my mentoring was doing anyway. Um, and then what that means is that if they, if they use that and they apply the tools, then it's just down to, well, you know, what are you having troubles with? Let's sort that out. So it's more ad hoc. Um, the other thing that I do do, which is just an individual session, and I actually really love doing, is um, with the expert races. So they've got all that information about the track stored in their subconscious. Um, and I've had, oh gosh, three or four of them now. Who, and these guys were like national level, local track, knew it inside out. They were... Um, really skilled racers and they would um, and there'd be a corner that they knew they could do better in but they didn't they couldn't make themselves do it um, so I would go through a process and pull out of their subconscious what the answer was what they needed to do and I really love doing it because what comes out there's always a little twist in there that they weren't consciously thinking of and that twist made the difference to enabling them to, to do something. You know, like, for example, there was a car racer who he actually needed to, it was a really tricky little chicane that had some bumps in it and stuff. He actually needed to hold the brakes on long, but it was a little twist in his out of his subconscious, which is counterintuitive when you want to go faster. But what it did was allowed the car to remain stable so he could get the power on sooner, um, which then gave him that greater drive at the corner, which he was trying to do. And... You know, he'd, he was multinational champion. He'd written, writ, sorry, driven that track probably thousands of laps, certainly hundreds. Yeah. Um, and straight away, he got 0.4 of a second out of it, you know. So we then, you know, programmed it in as well. So I don't just get it out of there subconsciously and program it in. Um, and when he got to the track, and same with all these other guys, when they got to the track, um, they it was natural for them to do the new line straight away or the new technique straight away and it actually felt they all tried because they're all the same kind of character they all tried 
doing the old technique and it just didn't, it felt so wrong. So that's how powerful, you know, it's one of those illustrations of how powerful the brain is that you can pull an answer out you're not aware of and you can program in a new, um, into your procedural memory without actually even doing it really. Um, yeah, yeah. And so it's really valuable because you don't get that much track time. So you can do this stuff away from the track and get as if you're, you know, out on track. Yeah, for sure. So this could be a long-winded answer maybe, but <laughs> if we're... Well, that probably was. How much is No, it? no, 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 not at all. But if we're talking about like programming that in, what sort of procedures are you, are you using, like some visualisation, some like... Like, yeah. I guess creating beliefs around that, or what are we? What are we trying? How do you approach that when you're reprogramming a, an action like that? Yeah, it's a it's a tricky little technique, um, and it's one I picked up really actually really early on working with the the um, first racer. Um, so when I walk the track with them, I'd say to him, "Well, okay, so this corner here. I mean, I won't go into all the detail because it really needs to be." Um, well, I suppose pulling the information out, you definitely do need to be an expert, but this is programming. Yeah, it, yeah. Um, yeah. Is the first thing was to imagine as though you've already done it. You know, so you know, or get very clear about the outcome you're wanting from that corner, for example, and then imagine you've already done it. And now tell me what you did. And I know when the shift has happened, when they start talking past tense, so um, they go from going, well, I, I'll do this and I'll do that. So that's talking in the future, you know, what you are going to do. And I just keep at them and keep hounding until they go, well, I did this and I did that. So there's this shift and, and that's really, and it really fatigues them. But I, And I'm like a little bulldog or bull terrier or whatever at them, just, you know, make them do it again and again and again until I hear that shift. And yeah, yeah. Um, it feels like I'm torturing them, but the, the reward is, is huge. And I'm a little bit evil, so I do enjoy torturing. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's good for them, so I don't, I don't mind. But, um, yeah, so I just keep at them and keep, and, and it's the questioning style to get them to, to um, there's this little shift that happens in their brain that goes from this is what I'm going to do in the future to this is what I've done in the past. Because the interesting thing about the brain is that um, you know, like I won't, I'm loath to give a figure, but it's something like 99%. Like the, the bulk of it doesn't know the difference between the past and the future. So, yeah, absolutely. So that's why this stuff For works. Sure. Yeah. So, um, and that's where I'm just getting that little shift to convince them that, well, that's already happened. Yeah. And then I get them to do lots of laps. Once they've got that, it's already happened. Then I just keep at them, keep at them, keep at them, keep at them. And and in the end, it really just feels normal. And that's why when they go to the track, it feels very normal to do and not, not um, unnatural. And it's very unnatural to do the old style because that's way in the past. It's not something that their brain thinks they do anymore. Yeah, for sure. So that's, do you, have you, do you follow Joe Dispenza? Have you heard of him? No, I haven't. He's a neuroscience guy. Yes. Um, that's exactly what he says is that 
he describes it as the body. He describes that the body can't tell the difference between the present or the future. Yep. So if you can create the either the vision or the belief that of what you want to unfold, then your body, even if, if it's not really happening, if you're just creating that vision, your body thinks that's what's happening. Yes. It's, it's, it is. It's very powerful, but it's something that it's, you've got to be careful that, you know, if you've got a novice racer and you go, what did you do? Yeah. The information they're going to come out with is going to be different um, and prob- probably not accurate. Um, it really, and that's why the sports play stuff is about training your brain to pick up that detail and get it in there so that when we get to this kind of stuff, it's processed, it's worked out the answer and you can just pull it out and go for it. But if you're not picking up the detail in the first place, if you're not, you're in a really, and that's where the focus comes in on your racing. If you're not focusing on your racing, then you're not getting that information. So then you don't, your brain doesn't have that information much to work with. So the quality of the solution that's going to come out is going to be pretty average. Um, so that's why it's, you know, I was very careful that it's, that I do that with your um, expert races. Yeah, absolutely. Makes sense for sure. So I thought, Next, we might sort of shift gears a little bit and might pull a few of the things out um, that I guess resonated with me from the ebook. Yep. Um, there's a there's a lot in there, and um, we probably won't be able to go through it all. But I guess these are these are a few that resonated with me that I I guess things that I work on with my clients. So, um, firstly, motivation. So I like how you, I guess, how you describe it in your ebook. Um, I think it's, I think it's super important for people to have, I guess, a bit of a deeper connection with their reason why they're doing what they do. Um, and I like what you mentioned in the ebook there, that if it perhaps you get to a point where you're not actually enjoying your racing anymore, then that's obviously an issue because the reason why we started riding in the first place was to have fun. So yeah. if that, if we get to that point, then quite often well, in my experience, can perhaps be an imbalance of perceptions or how we're managing our stress in other areas of our life. Yeah, it's um, it's a really good point. There's and, and there's there's a whole lot that goes into it. And so you're right. If if you're not enjoying your racing, there's an imbalance going on somewhere. Um, and it can be other areas of your life. You know, and that's what I talked about before. That emotional intelligence, clearing that stuff out, so it doesn't affect your focus, which then affects your performance. Um, but the when what I talk about in the ebook around motivation is so there's two two main types which a lot of people would have heard of already, which is your intrinsic motivation. So that's your what you love, you know, why you did it in the first place. So you know, me obviously hitting the power band was pretty cool. Um, it might be scraping your knee, you might be sliding around a corner, launching off a jump, whatever. Something that just feels really good. Um, and then there's your extrinsic motivation, which is stuff that you're motivated by external outcomes. So um, might be winning a championship or getting lots of likes on Facebook or um, getting the positive feedback from your team or your family or what have you. So those are all external things. Um, and in this day and age, especially with social media, 
the there is a real strong focus on the external. So, you know, where did you get, or I got third, or what have you. Um, and what if you focus too much on that, then you lose touch of exactly, you know, what you loved about the sport, so the intrinsic stuff. Um, and what can happen is even if you have your personal best time, but if there's other competitors in there that are, do, that are um, having a good day as well and, and they beat you for whatever reason and you're, um, so you don't get the outcome, you know, the same placing that you normally would, and so you don't get that positive feedback that you normally would because everyone else focus, focuses on the outcome. So, and then that can feed that whole cycle of not feeling so good about your racing. Whereas if you actually just focus on, well, this is what I love about it. Yes, I've got goals that I'm going for. And so you still have those outcome goals. But you also focus on your own performance and how you are growing and developing as a racer. So if you can come away from the meeting and go, I got my personal best time and that's that smashed my own one of my goals that I had. Yes, I did have another goal of this placing that I wanted to get, but I didn't get that because these other races were there, but I smashed um, my own goal and mm. totally loved the the meeting. You know, how cool was it that I'm now able to, I don't know, want to pick up something, get through a chicane, that particular chicane faster or, um, you know, whatever it may be, then you can still continue to enjoy yourself and you see the rewards coming from the effort that you're putting in. So it really is that balance. Um, but our society focuses on one and not so much yeah. the other. Absolutely, yeah. So I think one thing you kind of mentioned it a little bit um, in a couple of other questions before, but like a, that's why I really like the idea of giving yourself like a little assessment after the after the race day like yes. because we tend to where like you say if people are extrinsically motivated they tend to focus on that result whereas they don't actually give themselves a bit of credit for the the things that they did improve on or the things that that did actually go really well for them they just focus on that oh i didn't get a trophy or i didn't get a place so at the end of the day you're just sitting down and saying okay perhaps I didn't get that result, but this stuff actually went really well and I improved. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, you've got to have both and the review is the, is the perfect um, time to do that as well. But it's the other thing that's really important for us is looking and going, well, what worked, you know, what got me the increase in my performance or what decreased my performance? And if it increased it, then let's lock it in and use it at yeah. each from now on so we get the benefit continue to get the benefit from it whereas a lot of people they do that review um and that's where coming into having you know structure and processes etc in place so you can measure you can see what impact new changes are doing is having and then be able to um identify them what's working and what's not and then locking it into your standard so um the review is very critical in its you know, it'd be good for the team, the people that are doing the review with the racer to also be aware of this stuff so that they're not placing too much focus. You know, like these, I've heard some horrific stories um, in, in, over the years of certain environments where, you know, you could come second by a thousandth of a second and you can get ignored as a yeah. racer. Whereas if you're won by the, 
thousandth of a second, you're you're the man. You know, like it's yeah, for sure. It's, it's amazing, and it's like holy. So um, the team, it's important for the team to understand this stuff as well to help structure it to really get that positive momentum. Just keep continuously improving and and focus on what's going to get the results, you know, like it comes down to, is it your technique? You get more efficiency and more effectiveness. How do you get faster in that particular spot of the track or whatever it is you're working on? That's where the focus seems to be on. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I suppose it's probably even more, I guess, prominent in road racing, but especially when you get to the a high level of the sport, whether it's road racing or motocross or off-road, you're competing for thousands of seconds or hundreds of seconds or a second. Like it's really hard to get a second a lap, but it's really easy to lose it. Yes. Yeah, that's absolutely right. (laughs) It is. But then in saying that, you know, the same with, um, so with your dirt, it's really around self-confidence makes a huge difference. I mean, um, for sure, but it's that, and there's so many things that impact self-confidence. So, um, and that will carry them through and get them quite a quite a big difference in the in the overall result. Yeah, for sure. So I guess that sort of segues into the next the next part that I plucked out from the ebook is about beliefs. So that's like I guess our beliefs that we hold about ourselves is what determines our success whether it be success or perhaps not performing so well so how how important do you think it is firstly I guess to uncover what those beliefs are and then work on them I guess on a daily basis too so they do become our I guess programmed in as new beliefs yeah they're really important they they can either be like little allies or little snipers so um, if you've got a belief that's really working for you, and I'm a huge um, advocate of you've got to keep your beliefs realistic. So I'm not a fan of, you know, putting a belief in that you're the next world champion and that you are a world champion when you're, you know, starting out. There's obviously no point in doing that. Yep. Um, so you keep it as realistic as possible, but positively focused and working for you. Um if you've got a belief inside you that um, says that you're not really going to achieve something that's important to you, then there's going to be, it's going to affect your motivation. Without you realising, it'll affect your motivation, it'll affect the actions you take um, in your decision-making, which will all affect the outcomes that you get. And the reason that we're not really aware of what's in there and, and what, what's causing us um, help or havoc is a lot of them are formed during our childhood um, when we've got, you know, immature brains that can't really, um, can't really decide what reality is and don't really have a mature focus on things. Sorry, just need to drink water. Um, That's cool. <coughs> talking too much. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, there can be some distorted beliefs sitting in there that basically a little kid came up with based on yeah. something that was happening around them at the time. Yeah. So it's a pretty easy process just to go through and flush them out, correct them, 
and then move on, you know, and, and you're right. So to begin with, just um, reinforcing your new belief every morning. So once you do the initial process to sort them out, and then it'll start to feel normal. And so then there's um, not much point continuing, you know, you go a little bit past when it feels normal. And then it's only if you catch just uh, the odd stray thought or you might check yourself every now and then, you know, say, this is my goal. Do I think I'm actually going to get that? Um, then you can just give it another um, nudge to point it in the right direction. But once it feels pretty normal, then it should be working for you, not against you. Yeah, for sure. So I, yeah, I like, I like what you're saying. I guess it's like once that belief is there, or the, I guess the belief aligns with, with your goal or your outcome, that's it's just a matter of catching yourself. And it's not, I guess those thoughts are always going to pop up at a certain, to a certain extent, but the better we get at sort of catching them and saying, oh, hang on a minute, that's not serving me. This is a belief I want to replace. Yeah, so probably, you know, maybe it help with a bit of an example because some people, it's, you know, if you go, oh, I want to win national championship this year and if you have a belief that you're not fast enough, um, then, you know, the way to catch it is go, okay, this is my goal and then just letting um, any thoughts that just pop out without judging them, without correcting them, just let them flow out as to what, what thoughts there are about that goal. Mm. Um, and if there's one in there that says, no, nah, I'm, I'm just not fast enough, then it's going about and checking what's the reality of it, really. Um, or it might be I'm not good enough to get it. It's probably more, more to the point. That's what a little kid's kind of come up with. Um, yeah. And so then it's a case of working through and going, well, what are the ingredients that I need to win and have I got those ingredients? And if I don't have any of them, can I go about getting them? And then you can change your belief to say, well, I've got all the ingredients it takes to win. Um, and if I put the right focus and efforts into the right places, I'll get it. You know, so, um, but if you've got something in there that just says, no, nah, you're not good enough to win all the time, your motivation's not going to be 100% to put the efforts in to get the outcome because it doesn't think the outcome is going to be achievable. Yeah, it doesn't think it's a reality. Yeah. Yeah, so like I say, I guess it's too is the other thing that helps, I guess, solidify those beliefs is addressing your weaknesses and putting the process in place to actually turn, I guess, your weaknesses into strengths so you can achieve the goal you want to achieve. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you can turn it around, you know, if it's, you'd probably hit it yourself where I don't know if there's races that are um, really motivated for their racing, but they hate doing physical training that's needed to prepare themselves for the racing. Um, yep. And so they can use programming beliefs and to actually for the advantage for that and just say, I've got a belief that um, if I'm, fully fit and prepared physically, then I'm, I'm at the top of my game to uh, achieve my goals this year. And so yeah. having that in there's been fuels that motivation to get to the gym or go for a run or whatever it is they need to do. I mean, you can't obviously beat time on the bike, but 
there's some other training that you've got to do to prepare yourself, obviously. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So do you think it's important, one of the things I work on with my guys is that if that is a belief that we do want to, I guess, program in, that we be careful with how we structure or how we, I guess, verbalise it to ourselves in terms of the language we use? Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. It's got to be well-structured in that, I mean, ideally it's it's already happened, like we mentioned before, so I am fast, fit and um, strong and fully prepared for my racing. But it's also got to be believable. So you can say that, but if you've got part of your mind, because no, you're not, <laughs> then you're kind of undoing that work. So that's why I, I prefer that you start with something that's as close to reality but moves you forward a bit. Yep. And then you can adjust it, adjust it, adjust it to keep you, you know, as you improve as you go along, if you like. Or just be realistic about it and say, um, every day I'm getting stronger and fitter. Or as I put the effort in every day, I am getting stronger and fitter for my um, for my goals, this is my season goals. It's, yeah, it's very hard. Like I need to actually sit down and go, well, what's your specific goal? And then and know the situation of the person and then work out exactly what, statement's going to work best for them because some people are really motivated by very strong um almost arrogant type terminology where others would be um turned off by that so they need something a bit more gentle to help it's whatever they feel comfortable with but it's also going to move them forward in a positive direction yeah absolutely it does yeah absolutely absolutely for sure and i think that's like you say it's not I think some people perhaps feel uncomfortable maybe doing that because they might feel like it is egotistical, but it's not, you're not going to walk down the street preaching it. You're only repeating it to yourself in private. So there's, I guess there's a, I, I suppose a difference between being cocky and being confident. Yeah. And that's why it's, I think important to find language and a phrase that you feel comfortable with. Um, yeah. Because otherwise you're, you're going to stop doing it. And you're not, and you're not going to believe it when you say it, and you're just going to feel uncomfortable, which goes against the whole um, purpose of it. So, it's got to be words and a phrase that you it really resonates with you. You, it's believable. Um, it still challenges you, but it's absolutely believable, and uh, you're comfortable with that. Otherwise, the old belief is just going to come and go. Told you it was a load of <laughs> whatever. You know, it's going to try and undermine it. So, yeah, for sure. But the brain is a pretty amazing thing. Like it will do whatever you tell it to do, but it's also got a belief that you can do it. It's, it's really quite, um, you know, we, we think that our brain is us, but it's no more us than our arm is us. You know, it's just another tool that you can use, just like you can move your arm to do something where you can tell your brain to do something to, you know, to get the outcome you're looking for. So you actually have quite a lot of control over your brain. Um, it's it's quite fascinating when you think about it. It is, yeah, absolutely. It is for sure. Do you think one way I've heard it described is like, I guess our mind is what controls our brain, but our mind is separate. It's, it's, it's kind of like our mind is just this thing that's out there that we, I guess, create that perception which influences our brain, so to speak. Yeah, so there's this there's a sense of who you are, which can be um, 
which is very different to what you think, um, you know, which is what your brain's doing. And so, it's, you know, some people refer to it as the observer or what have you, but it's, it's the bit that can kind of, that keeps track of what's going on. Um, and yes, some refer to it as the mind, some refer to it as observer, some refer to it as superconscious, or there's all sorts of different names. Um, but at the end of the day, there's this other part of us who's able to direct the brain what to do. Yeah. And whether it's just simply another, the higher, higher executive functioning part of the brain as well, you know, that's something that us as humans have um, more of than other mammals is that higher executive functioning that can um, keep an eye on what's going on and, and get the, um, get the changes that you're needing in place. It's, and that's why some of the more basic brain functioning, like your emotional stuff, um, that's faster. So I talk about it in the ebook. Was you know, anger is a is a primitive emotion, so it's faster. So that executive functioning of the brain, the bit that really works out strategy and um, how to problem solve and all that sort of stuff, that's a bit slower. So that's why something like anger can get in and really just feel like it's taking you over. Um, so it's important in that situation just to really do everything you can to get something like the word wait in to give yourself a gap so that your, your higher functioning brain can kick in and work out what actually the best thing to do in that situation is rather than just react to the emotion. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I guess we want to, be able, like you say, we want to be able to, I guess, take a breath and respond and not necessarily re react out of emotion. That's right. So it's, I guess, a bit of a skill to be able to tap into that. Yeah, it's just um, it's just getting that one word and usually just that weight. It's all you've yeah. got to be able to do. Yeah. It's only, it's only, you know, parts of a second. Um, it's all you need just to that little break on for sure so another really cool bit i liked in the ebook which where you touched on focus and we've, i guess you've you've already spoken about it a little bit through the other questions but i guess it's something and we've also talked about social media as well but it's something you see these days is i see a lot of people's inability to actually focus and be truly present in the moment because our like we said, like with social media these days, we've got so many freaking distractions in our life going on that to actually apply ourselves in the moment and, and get into that flow state can be challenging for some people. Um, so I guess what, what are some of your, I guess, little tips or strategies you use to improve focus? Yeah, so focus is, um, is a really interesting one because it's, it's the result that happens when you when you have everything else working for you. But when you think about it, you know, if you're really motivated to do something, you're confident about being able to make it happen, and it's a little bit challenging as well, just a little bit, not too challenging, um, you're fully engaged and fully focused on what you're doing. So if you set things up that... Um, that you've got that feeling of, this is, I'm loving what I'm doing, this is exactly what I want to be doing, I know I can do it, 
and but I've just got to push myself a little bit and I'll get there then you're going to have that focus but that sounds really simple but self-confidence um, is one that actually can be affected by almost everything <laughs> so, so um, that's why it's like well focus comes out of everything so you know things like motivation can affect self-confidence you know back around again your goals can your beliefs your skills your processes your planning your practice you know your race strategy your bike setup or even how lucky you feel on the day so there's all sorts of um, ingredients that go in and that's where having that structure in place that um everything is working like a well-oiled machine so that by the time you get to the track, you know, you know, you've put the effort in to get your physical self to be fully conditioned and, and ready to go. You've done the training, you know the track really well or you know the terrain really well and you know the bike really well, um, you know the lines, the um, thing that you're going to come up against, you know you're going to be able to deal to it. Um, you also know where everything is, even in your pit. So you're not wasting time and focus trying to find something. You know, it's always in the same place. So then that becomes much like your procedural memory. You don't have to think about where do I go to, to get the, I don't know, filter or whatever it is you might be looking for. It's always in the same place. So that, that clears up your focus as well. So it's... it's it's very much um, getting everything, every little bit that you do to, to help yourself to be organised and um, prepared will help you focus. For sure, yeah. I guess the, the term I like to use is how you do one thing is how you do everything. So like exactly like you said that having structure with all of the stuff we've spoken about setting your goals knowing why i guess what your internal motivation is and and then putting all those steps in place when and and doing it all in training of course because when we get to the race the work's already done yes it's just a, a matter of applying the processes that we've done in training so when when you've done all those things like you're saying you've got some structure around it um and you've also assessed whether it, whether it's working then it just does build that confidence and builds that ability to focus when it comes to game time yeah and, and one of the things that i used to do um when i when i was mentoring races so with them and i'd sit down at the beginning of the day and have that checklist that says okay and we would go through everything from um the bike the um, the track, their their sleep, their physical preparation, their hydration, their nutrition, um, their riding gear, even um, how they feel even about the officials, the sponsors, any pressure, just basically the whole list of everything that relates to anything at the track. Um, we would just go through and go, how are you feeling about this? You know, and if something was less than an eight. We go, well, what's, what's going on? Is there something we need to sort out? Um, because that's, you know, people tend to just accept some things that aren't right and we'll just go, oh, I'll worry about it later, you know. But if, if that thing can affect your performance, then it can affect your confidence on the day. And what we found is that when the race is 
did that and we did have everything with pretty high marks that when they rode out onto the track, they were just so ready to go and just absolutely nail it. You know, it was, um, it made such a difference. It took them up to that real higher level of, um, of confidence because they'd consciously gone through everything and said, there's absolutely no reason why I can't go out and absolutely nail it today. Um, and that seemed to really help. So, and there's some things you obviously can't fix, but then you can just rationalize and go, well, is it really going to affect your performance? And you go, well, no, not, not really. Okay, then let's just move on from it. Don't worry about it, you know. But if it is, what can you do to sort it out? Yeah, that's right. And then I guess the better you get at that, you, you just get better at finding solutions and not focusing on the problem itself. Yeah, that's right. And, and that's where a lot of them, you know, walk around the pits and these races kind of looking a bit down because something's not working. You're like, well, what are you doing? But yeah, we're not sure what we can do. You know, there's some that are in there trying to sort things out, definitely with the bike. Mm. Um, but there's a whole lot of other things that can go on that just seem to sort of float along and can just slowly erode away that confidence in their performance. And yeah, for sure. the better you're doing at the track, so if you're doing it, obviously you want to do a lot of this stuff before you even get to the track. So um, I would encourage them to use the list, you know, a couple of weeks out or a week out and even a few days out and go, how are you feeling about this meeting? Didn't want to get them to the track and they're like, oh, shit, you know, like forgot to um, get that, get my visor, scratch visor changed or, my, you know, new goggles, um, tear off span, I forgot to get them. It's too late now. Yeah, that's right. So it's all in the preparation. Yeah, it's right. Awesome, Sally. Well, there's a lot of awesome information in there. Something I would love to really do is, I guess, give the listeners, I guess, some actionable steps that they could perhaps put in place in their own training. So if you had to, I guess, simplify it, is there a few dot points that you could give people that they can actually apply in their training? Um, well, yeah, one of them was would be what we mentioned before about getting um, as much practice as you can on the different track conditions. So this is for your dirt riders. Um, to get all those different scenarios into procedural memory. So, And when you are running on those different conditions, almost treat it as like a drill. So you're really... Um, hammering it into your into your brain how the bike responds and how you respond um, to get the best out of that out of your bike in that condition on that terrain um, to get as much much variety so a lot of people go and they'll practice slots you know on a few different tracks but it's really about getting as much variety as you can of all the different types of terrain that you'll be riding on um, and if you're into the long haul for your career then you know, think about what kind of terrain you've been riding over your career and start sooner, just, just really working on it. And your brain will just start to build up that um, almost like a dictionary of all the different scenarios and, and how to approach it. Um, your mental practice, which we also touched on. So in between days that you are on the bike, then practice your riding in your mind. Um, because that will spark up almost as many neurons as, as the real thing will. Um, it's best to do it just after you wake up or before you fall asleep when your brain's nice and relaxed. Um, you know, that, that one helps road races 
a lot because of the distance, but um, for dirt riders, it'll also, you know, you can do the same thing for riding in different terrains, but also just keeping your race neurons active. Um, so when you get to the track, it's, it's like you haven't stopped riding. Yeah, so like you mean having like a little visualisation practice almost of what how you expect the race to unfold? Yeah, well, this is, um, so there's a few few things that you can do there. So the, there's the practice around just actually what you're doing on the bike. So going through your laps, if you like, um, or starting from your start, even if you've got... Uh, weakness in your start or you want to keep your start strong then imagine going through your start and performing that um, over and over again in your mind and look at it from different angles um, not only from yourself when you're on the bike but imagine looking at yourself doing it and the, the beauty of that um, mental practice is you can even you know you can slow it down or and look at some of the detail and think about what you might do differently um, and you can focus on what you might be feeling coming back through from the bike but then what you're talking about there is also your visualization which is um, imagining how the race is going to turn out as well so there's a combination so with your with for example your starts you've got the actual technique that you can be practicing but then you can also visualize the outcome that you're going to have from that start, you know, obviously a whole shot's a good outcome. Um, so you can imagine that outcome and that's the outcome that you're going for, but then you can also go through and you've got your technique of actually riding the bike, you know, um, out of the gate, but then you've also got all the different scenarios that you can go through in your mind of um, how you might approach that launch from the line through to turn one. So, and you can play them over in your mind so that when it comes time to actually do it, whatever, you, you know what your best um, outcome is that you're going for. But if something happens that changes it, your mind's already got all the options and scenarios programmed in so it can just slot into, you know, oh, that's track, excuse the pun, but that's track D or track C or whatever. So it's, it's like um, it'll pick up a different program depending on what's happening and adapt very quickly. Yeah. So that's using a combination of a few things there. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a, especially for motocross guys, even off road, and input the start so important. Like we, you don't really have qualifying like a road bike race. So yeah, <laughs> it's getting that jump off the start is super important. That can really determine how your whole race goes. Yeah, and that's that's a really good point. Um, Actually, it's something that um, I often forget about. But then, you know, it's the same with dirt tracking. I've done that. The start is just so critical. Um, mm. And so having that focus when you roll up, knowing what you're already going to do. And and if you've got a process that, a pre-race and pre-start process that you put in place, and by that I mean, you know, how you... Um, Get, put your gear on, get on the bike, roll up to the start, what you do on the start. If you keep that as consistent as possible, then you're priming those neurons in your brain ready to just launch um, at the start. So it's not, um, you're giving yourself every opportunity to get, to get out of the gate as fast as possible. 
Yeah, absolutely. So is that, did you have another, was, was that three? Did you have another? All right, uh, goal setting um, was another one that, you know, we all know about it and kind of sick of hearing about it. <laughs> I'm sick of hearing about it and I advocate it, but. Um, yeah, I, I know, but I still, I know it's, it's some people glaze, their eyes glaze over when you talk about it, but I, I, I still think it is an absolutely critical part just to have some focus on where you actually want to be moving towards. Exactly. And, and, and if you're smart about it, and it's probably something that I think this point can be lost sometimes when people talk about goal setting, and this is where the real advantage is. And I've probably touched on it before, you know, in this session where we've talked about, you know, it can, if you structure your goals right, then your confidence is going to be in line and your motivation is going to be good and all, et cetera. But the thing to do with your, with your goal setting is to structure them so that, you know, you start with your career goal, then you set yourself season goals that will help you to achieve that career goal. So you're getting all these sub-goals in place. Then you get your event goals that will meet your season goal. But you've got to take into account your strengths and weaknesses at each track. So it's all well and good to go, well, I want to win the um, championship. And so, and I want to win at each track. <laughs> no, that, yeah. That's not really goal setting. Um, it is, but it's not really effective goal setting because unless you absolutely can um, be 100% confident that you can win it, every single event of that championship then fantastic but most people have some tracks that they won't be as strong at as others yeah um so that's where it's setting your goals so that the ones where you're stronger you set yourself obviously the higher outcome than the ones that you you are weaker at but then you also incorporate those other these other types of goals which is, you know, you've got your outcome goals, which we talked about before, which is your, your placings, um, you know, where you're going to get. And, but there's also your performance goals. So um, that comes down to how you perform in yourself, you know. So are you performing at your personal best for that, um, that track under those conditions. It's a little bit tricky to do on the dirt because there's so many variables that affect that and so it's, very, it's a lot harder to measure. But you know in yourself as well what, um, how well you've done against what you can normally do. Yeah. Um, and then there's your process goals, which is around focusing on your technique. So you may um, be in an event that's not so, it's not really a championship one, but it's an event in between that has a certain part of the track that will help you to hone uh, a skill that you're not so strong in. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's, you know, you might have a goal for that event which says, um, maybe you're going to nail the, um, I don't know, water section or what have you, um, whatever it is that you might have a weakness on. And so once you've got all those event goals down, then at each event you've got your individual session goals which are all leading you towards that uh, event goal. And so every time you're on the track, you know what you're doing. Be it always just like, well, this session is just to run the bike in or it's just to get, a, um, get, to, get to know the track. That's yep. fine, but you've got to be very clear about what you're doing every time you're on the track. 
So that way, when you are, you know that every minute you're on that bike, you are working towards your career goal because they're all structured in line, you know, and structured to feed each other. And that, and then on its own, will bring focus. Um, but if you can even more so set them up so that there's that succession of successes they talk about in sports psychology where each time you um, you set your goals up so that you are succeeding at them as you go along so that you're moving from success to success to success. And can you imagine what that does to your confidence? Um, whereas if you set yourself a goal going, you set a, little, a bit higher than... You still want to challenge yourself, absolutely. You don't want to make it too easy for yourself because those successes don't mean anything. So it still has to be challenging. But don't make them so challenging out of the hope that you're going to get it because if you don't, then you're going to lose that positive momentum of just continuously moving ahead, moving ahead, moving forward, getting better, getting better. Um, so that's where it's about being real smart and, and defining them and being comfortable to adjust them if something happens that means that that goal is not really, either it's not achievable anymore or it's too easy. You don't want something that's too easy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I, I guess I think I really like that. I think especially in motocross, I suppose, again, in any any discipline, I, I guess, but some people might be good at setting their goals, but then they don't have, like you say, breaking them down and having some structure with their practice sessions on the bike. And like you say, success breeds success. So if you have perhaps a small goal that you want to achieve when you go and practice at the track and you achieve that, that builds confidence. So if you just go to the track and just do laps for without any specific goal, then you're just really burning fuel for the sake of burning fuel. That's right. That's right, and, it, and it's all feeding in, and if you know that, that what you've set yourself to do for that session is all part of the bigger plan to get this career goal that you're really excited about, you just, your focus is going to be a lot better. And, and like you say, you're not wasting your time burning up. And if you're not practicing at race pace anyway, unless you're doing something to work on the bike or, um, or sometimes you just need to to have a, I don't know, a, a relaxed session or cool down or what have you, but even then, um, you're best to stay at race pace because as soon as you drop off, then all that procedural memory, now you're either going to do two things. You're either putting yourself at risk of crashing because your procedural memory and your bike is actually set up for that faster pace, um, or you will change your procedural memory to be more effective at the slower pace. So for someone that's just, oh, I'm just gonna go and do some laps, it's like, are you going to practice or are you, what are you doing? You know, like, yep. what are you doing? If you're just gonna go and do some laps, then that's cool. Depends what your overall goals are for your career. But if you wanna get the most out of yourself, then you need to know exactly what you're doing on the track each time. And sometimes it might be this, this session is just to chill and relax and have fun and go for it. Then, you know, it doesn't, don't turn yourself into a robot. No, exactly. That's what I was going to say. It is important like to keep that, that fun aspect there. Sometimes you might just go out with, with your mates and just go for it and have some fun and, and roost some burns or whatever. But 
it's of course there's having that balance but it also might be okay i'm going to practice my technique in these ruts today because yes. i know that's where i'm lacking my corner speed in ruts is not great so i'm going to really focus on improving my time through these corners and get my ruts dialed in yes and if you you achieve that then that's a win and like you say that that builds confidence yeah it does it does and, and i think yeah come away from that session with a positive feeling yeah it does and i and i think it's it's good that you've um brought out more of that point and you know sometimes you do just want to go and have fun with your mates but it's just being clear about this is what i'm doing so that when you do it you have fun and you don't feel guilty that you're not yeah you know, practicing something but um so it's a very distinct a very clear purpose if you like i think the last thing even though i've you know i've done my three is probably um really get passionate about learning and developing yourself um and get good at problem solving because then that those will drive your continuous improvement which is what will get the performance up and get you moving ahead in your career absolutely yeah i think i like to use the term and i even i guess that's the approach i take to to strength and conditioning and even the mental side of it def, most definitely the mental side of it is just being a white belt for life like think when you think you've got it figured out then that's probably when you start going backwards yeah <laughs> so being like you say and that's um i think something that perhaps the most successful people in our sports have in common is they do have a thirst for knowledge and they're always looking for that little extra one percent so they're willing to try different things to achieve that yeah which is great it's one of the things i love about the people in the sport you know, we, we're very lucky. Our sport was full of really passionate people. Um, and when you think about it, you have to be to put yourself at risk to do, to do a sport. Um, and very often very driven and motivated to, to do that growth, you know, to look for where can I get that other change. So, um, and those skills will work really well for you in other areas of your life as well. So, Most certainly, yeah. Sure. Well, Sally, there's a ton of awesome information there. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks, Ben. And thanks for the opportunity. Um, hopefully it's helpful for um, your listeners. Oh, I'm sure it will be very, very helpful. Um, can you can you perhaps give, tell the listeners where they can check out your website, your content, and perhaps check out the ebook as well? Yeah, so it's um, racepsych.com, um, which is race and psych is P-S-Y-C-H. So it's, I even, I still spell it wrong. <laughs> it's a horrible word. <laughs> um, so um, perhaps we'll write it on the bottom of this, but yeah, it's race. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, racepsych.com. It was probably not the smartest um, brand name to use. <laughs> but um and as you can click on the link to the ebook, it's it's been written so far. So this version is for road races. Um, eventually, I'd like to do one for dirt, for the different codes of dirt, because there's even variations within that. Um, but I'd say at least 80%, if not more, would be relevant to dirt anyway that's written in road racing. So um, if they want to get it, then 
rather than wait for um, a new version to come out because who knows when that would be. Um, this one took about seven years. <laughs> yeah. But it wouldn't take much to adjust it, to be fair, for, um, for motocross and enduros and dirt tracking and speedway. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it all carries over, yeah. Yeah. And for sure. Motorsport and cycling and, and all the stuff. Um, then go ahead and do that. And I can give you got your listeners a little discount code. We'll put that on the thing too as well so you can get $10 off if they want to get it. Yeah, um, awesome. So, Appreciate that. Yeah, no, no worries at all. Um, what about, do you have any social media accounts or anything people can follow you on? Or Yeah, do you know, I've got a Facebook page just that at this stage. Um, so that's just look up Race Psych on Facebook. Um, and that, there's a little um, icon at the bottom of the website too that'll point you over there. And that's, at the moment, I've just been posting stuff um, probably more for the road racing because um, that's, you know, things like reference points because, of course, your reference points in dirt will change every lap. Some of them won't, but some of them will. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but things like actually writing, um, I did another little post about just a quick snippet, so I'm trying to just produce a little snippet, like writing a unicycle. Um, is good for expanding the part of your brain that's picking up what your bike's doing. <laughs> Funny you say that. I'm actually trying to, I'm learning. Not, ah. not, not trying, I'm learning to ride a unicycle at the moment. <laughs> Two cranks I can get in and I'm, that's my, my best so far. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Well, the, the cool thing is because it's stretching you to do it um, and it will expand that part of the brain that does pick up what's happening, um, you know, basically under your butt and under your feet. And, yeah, totally. Um, so what's, you know, that's pretty handy. That's expanding that whole neural network that'll be handy for your um, writing. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll keep practising. Yeah, do that. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently elbow guards are good to have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I haven't, I haven't lost any skin yet, so uh, successful in that respect. One of the races that did it, <laughs> that did it in an um, old tennis court that had a big wire fence. Yeah, right. So that he could just grab onto it if it was going bad. Yeah. <laughs> I'll leave it up to you to work out how you're going to do it. <laughs> Thank you. Well, yeah, thanks again, Sal. I really, really appreciate your time and sharing that super valuable knowledge with us. Um, and hopefully, uh, if you do get over to Australia over here, we can catch up sometime. Yeah, that'd be good. I do. I'm looking forward to getting over there again soon. I'm Miss, it doesn't matter which country in, I miss the other one. So I like yeah. <laughs> So good. All right, cool. Thanks, Ben. Awesome, Sally. Thank yeah. you very much. Alrighty. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Ben Greenwood High Performance Podcast. For more information on this podcast episode, please check out the show notes and to check out more of my content, shoot over to my website, www.100percentstrength.com. 100% strength to us means giving 
100% effort to any challenge we face, whether that's in life, whether that's in the gym, or whether that's out on the track. So you can check out some of our free content online. We've got a blog there. We've also got an email list you can subscribe to to stay up to date with events, tips and tricks on a weekly basis. And I really appreciate you give us a follow on Facebook or Insta too. Until the next episode, give it 100%. Peace out.